of Scripture in discipleship. Now, you think, that's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're, of course we're going to use the Bible in discipleship. Well, I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, this morning that it's not always a given in churches these days. Uh, even churches that have historically been biblically sound and theologically correct, the use of the Scripture has, at some level, gone by the wayside. Uh, between me and you, that troubles me. Uh, now, I, I'm looking around, and there's just not that many folks here that are older than I am. So I can tell you this, I can remember days when the Scripture uh, flourished. I can remember days when the Bible was preached and truth was proclaimed far more than it is today. But I want, to, I want to discuss with you that topic today. So is it going to be a sermon? Maybe. Is it going to be a lesson? Probably. Uh, regardless of that, I have several, several passages of Scripture that I would love to go over with you. My text today is many, but we'll cover, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Now, let me just remind you of a couple of things. I'm not insulted if you decide to say amen. Okay? I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed for you. Uh, in fact, let me encourage you that if the Lord blesses your heart this morning through the preaching of his word, that, uh, that you engage in worship to him. So let me ask you first, what is a, what is a disciple? Well, you weren't prepared for that, but I've, I'm prepared for that. So let me tell you what a disciple is. A disciple of Christ, well, a disciple, the word disciple translated from uh, New Testament Greek actually means a learner. That's what a disciple means. And it was the, that term doesn't apply to just disciples of Christ. It applies to any disciple, a student, a learner, okay? But the, but the Greek word that, that gives us disciple is, only, is it, we only find it in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. You don't find it in the New Testament epistles, letters. You don't find it there. But what you do find is that it has a bigger meaning than just a learner. In, in Christianity, a disciple is more than just a learner. Let me just give you an example. How many people do you know that have reams of Scripture memorized and can exegete a text very well and teach you Scripture well, and then they just don't live it? Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's ever met anybody like that. But I can tell you, those folks are out there. Those, those, folks, those folks live today. Uh, I won't cite any though several come to mind. But a disciple of Christ is one who believes his doctrine, believes the doctrine of Jesus, rests on his sacrifice, imbibes his spirit, and imitates his example. It's more than just a student. Okay? So... Let me, can I just give you an example real quick of what I'm talking about? I have a friend, an associate, who's a biblical counselor. I'm not going to call his name, not that he would mind. But 
uh, he and I worked together on biblical counseling cases. And he, I gave him a case a few weeks ago. He started counseling with this young couple. Uh, very noble. They wanted, to, uh, they wanted to get premarital counseling after they were married. Uh, because they didn't get premarital counseling before they got married. They just wanted to, they're not struggling with anything, so they just wanted to make sure they're on the right path, okay? They, they want to get off on the right foot, uh, so to speak. Well, he met with them, and uh, he and I met about them, and he was kind of scratching his head. He said, they, they do devotions together and at work morning and evening so far so good but they don't read their bible Ugh. in fact he said he said that when he called them to turn to a passage in first corinthians that one of them had trouble finding first corinthians right he should have said it's right before 2 Corinthians. Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> but that's a problem. Let me, can I further that problem with you? The devotionals that they're using are from Joyce Myers. And I can never remember this fellow's name uh, out in Texas, Joel Osteen. I had to write it down. Okay? So... So, I have, a, I have a sense that that's not only happening here in River City, but probably across the country and across the world. People are devotioned to death and don't know Jesus. They don't know the Word of God. And certainly, and it certainly matters. It certainly matters what, if you're going to read a devotion, don't get me wrong, I'm for devotions. I have like three devotions that I tell folks that this would be a good devotional for you to read. One of them, Paul Tripp wrote, uh, New Morning Mercies. It's incredible. Uh, has anybody here ever heard of Charles, oh God, named Charles Spurgeon? Well, he wrote a, he wrote a devotional, Morning and Evening. You read it part in the morning, you read part in the evening, kind of self-explanatory. It's incredible, okay? Now, I said three, and I can't think of the third one. But those two, are the, those two are the most prominent devotionals that I ever recommend. However, comma, I never imply that a devotional should take the place of reading God's Word. Amen. So can I, can I just ask you this? Instead of reading Joel Osteen, instead of reading Joyce Myers... And I hope I hadn't insulted you by using their name out loud, okay? But would it have been better, would it have been okay if they used John MacArthur? Be careful how you answer that. Well, I can tell you this. They would get more Bible reading after John MacArthur than they would after Joel Osteen. But John MacArthur is giving you his opinions on what? the Bible why don't we read it for ourselves? why don't we just read God's word by ourselves? there's a fellow I don't know if you're familiar with him or not kind of a controversial fellow but just between me and you don't spread this around I kind of like him his name is Vody Bauckham 
And from his book of Expository, Expository Apologetics 101, he said this. We're producing passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well and who are driven to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Can I say this? You can't be a disciple of somebody you don't know. You can't love someone you don't know and you're not going to get to know God by reading a devotional. You're not going to get to know God by singing songs. Nothing personal. I love singing songs. Okay, I don't sing very well, but I love singing. Okay, But there is no substitute for reading about God in His Word. Because it is the divine, clear, revealed revelation of who He is and what He has done. Now, when we, when we talk about revelation, there are revelations that all humanity should know. In fact, general, general revelation, okay, so here's the lesson part of it. General revelation is what? Well, it's God's creation is general revelation. The fact that babies are born, that's general revelation. General revelation lets us know that there is a power there is a person outside of us that's bigger than us that's created this whole deal. Okay? The heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. I'm going to tell you, there are very few things that I enjoy more than being on a beach somewhere with a beautiful sunset, just enjoying the environment. In, even enjoying the smell of fish, and I don't even like fish, but enjoying the ocean, enjoying the sunset, just thinking, Lord, how'd you do that? However, the heavens declare the glory of God, but the heavens don't declare the gospel of God. They, the heavens let us know that there is a God. And the scriptures let us know who that God is. You're not going to find that anywhere else. Now, when we talk about those general revelation and special revelation, there's so much to be said there. I'm going to try to touch on it. But I also want to make the point that the role of the Scripture in making a disciple is not optional. How the, the, the great commission of the church is Matthew 28 is all authority has been given to me, Jesus Christ, in heaven and in earth. Go therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus is the authority... In light of the fact that it's been given to him, you go in my authority and do what? Make disciples. Disciples of what? Disciples of Jesus. And here's how he said do it. Baptizing them, which implies evangelism. Brother, thank you for getting those tracks. They sound like they would be very useful. And you said something really important a couple minutes ago. 
If you're going to go eat at a Mexican restaurant and you're going to leave a track, you better leave a tip. Did you know, and this is, this is a parenthetical sermon. Can I preach a sermon in a sermon right quick? I know a lot of folks who wait tables and have known a lot of folks who wait tables. Do you know the worst day for tips of the week? Goodness, these things should not be. If they, if someone knows you're a Christian and you go and you leave them a gospel track telling them about eternal life, they're going to be more likely to read it if you give them something to help them in this temporal life. Right? Okay, close parenthesis. That's my second sermon. When we talk about discipleship, we know what a disciple is. So there are some practical patterns of making disciples and teaching. I'm sorry, let me go back to Matthew 28. Okay? He says, go therefore and make disciples, uh, baptizing them, evangelizing them, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then what? Teaching them. Teaching them what? Well, it's sure not Joel Osteen. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Okay? So what, where are you going to find that? You're going to find that right here Amen. in this book. You're not gonna, you're, you are not going to find it. I know it's not like I'm harping on devotions. That just really hit me pretty hard, what, what my friend pointed out to me. But you're not going to find, you will find God's word presented in a devotional, but, you're not, but it is no substitute for God's word. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he said this, And the things that you have heard from the beginning, from, um, from me, many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's your good pattern. Teach the things that Jesus taught to his disciples, that taught to their disciples, that taught to their disciples for the last 2,200 years, and teach them the faithful men that will teach their disciples. I say their disciples. Their disciples in training. We, I hope, I hope that there doesn't exist a disciple of Andy Weisner. He's in a mess if he is. However, I do want to teach other people to live like Jesus. That is my goal. Also, Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul, this, is, this is amazing. Paul says to the Philippians, he says, The things which you learned, the things that you learned and received, that means not just learned them, but you took them in, heard and saw in me, Paul lived his life in such a way that they could look to him. And in fact, he says, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, there's a challenge. Can I just ask you, can I just be nosy here? I'm going to meddle just a little bit. Do you want, is it a valid statement to say you want someone to imitate you as you imitate Jesus? Now, I can stop right there, and that's pretty convicting. That's pretty convicting. So if being a disciple 
means being like Jesus. How did Jesus use the Bible? Well, we know Jesus is the Word of God, right? He is the incarnate Word. Amen. So we'll take that, we'll take that under uh, uh, into our, uh, our thought process. But listen to this just real quick. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament 78 times. He quoted from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Michael, and Micah, sorry, and Malachi. He, he believed the Bible was true. Because he said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by, by your truth. Who can finish that for me? Thy word is truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. In John 10. He said that God's word will not pass away and those who do and teach them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 4. He accepted miracles as historical fact. Namely, Jonah's life, he actually used the life of Jonah as an illustration of his death, burial, and resurrection. He used the illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah to to illustrate his coming back. He says, "As as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He gave credibility to the Old Testament. He accepted miracles and historical facts as truth. He affirmed the authorship of Moses. He affirmed the authorship of David in the Psalms. Of Daniel, he quoted him in Matthew 24 and Isaiah in Matthew 15. He confirmed, let me say this, he confirmed the countercultural teachings of today in Scripture in that Mark 10, 6, God made Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation There's a real place called hell, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Gender binary and heterosexual marriage, Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And he used, he himself used the scriptures. If we're going to use the scripture like Jesus, then we need to use the scripture. He used the scripture to teach his disciples. Now let me stop for just a moment. There's a there's a lot there's a I got more to cover than we're going to cover today. I'm sorry, but here but here's here's a major point. Don't even try to take notes today, please. If you want if you want my sermon notes, you send me an email. I'll send them to you. But the thing that I want us to take away today is that the Bible, God's word, though it has fallen to disrepute. Though it has even been put aside by many in the church today, it is still the most valuable, comprehensive document that has ever been written when it comes to understanding who God is and what God has done. Does it it encourage you to know? So so let me ask you this. What do you know about God? You know the names of God in the Bible? Do you know something about them and what they mean? I hope you do. Do you know anything about how God created the heavens and the earth? I don't mean technically because we know that's a miracle. I can't just say, well, he did it this way. No, you can't. Okay? Science can't do it either. By the way, can I just make this little point here? Uh, Creation is not a matter of science. 
It's a matter of theology. Okay, science can't tell you how God created the heavens and the earth because in order to be science, it has to be repeatable, right? Try it. Not going to happen, not going to work for you. But there are certain things that we can know by creation that we already talked about, but there's, certain, but there's some things that we can't. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 17 says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, <coughs> Lord, who has believed our report? And here's Paul's summary. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. How important is the Bible in making disciples? It is indispensable. It is indispensable. Because it is only through the word of God that a person can be born again. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word of God is a tool that the Spirit uses to mature and sanctify disciples. I know you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 6. So what is the sword of the Spirit? Yes, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It is the tool that the Spirit uses to make you more like Jesus. The passage that we read out of Psalm 119. Your word have I hidden in my heart. What? That I might not sin against you. The word of God. The word of God is the authority. Try to listen to this. I wrote this. I don't know that it'll make sense. But the word of God is the authority that tells us to use the word of God in discipleship. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, Psalm 119, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. So we've talked about the authority of the Word, that the, the Word of God is the authority that tells us to use the Word of God to make disciples. Uh, let me give you one more passage. This is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. Amen. It's got, how, does the, how does the scripture, what is the role of scripture in discipleship? It is our sanctification. Our sanctification. It, the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, 
changes us into the image of the Son of God to the glory of God. So how do we know really that the Bible is authoritative? Doesn't, I mean, uh, doesn't the holy book of Islam say that it's authoritative? Do not the documentation of the Buddhist seem to carry an authority? So what sets the Bible apart? Well, first of all, the Bible the Bible says it's an authority. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3:16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is breathed out by God. Okay. How does that work? Well, thank you for asking. Peter answered the question. He said in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses verse 20 for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, just because the Bible says it's authoritative, does that make it authoritative? Just because Jesus said he was the Son of God, does that make him the Son of God? Well, what if Kenneth Copeland... Sorry to say that in this building. Kenneth Copeland said he could have died for your sin. Do you see why the Bible is important to keep us from foolishness? So what does make the, what does make the Bible authoritative? It's not just because he said, well, let me say this. Jesus could prove he was the son of God because he walked on water. And he healed the sick. And he made the blind to see and the lame to walk. And he put, a, he put an ear back on the soldier that Peter cut off. Just like that. He healed a withered hand on the Sabbath. So how do you know that? Just, is it just that the Bible says that? Look, did you know there's more documentation of the lifetimes and miracles of Jesus Christ in extra-biblical writings than, than just about any other person on the face of the earth? So, Jesus proved he was the Son of God. In fact, the testimony of the soldier at the foot of the cross that crucified him said, Truly, this is the Son of God. <coughs> if he was, and he was, the Son of God, what is the value of the Word of God? And is the Word of God authoritative? Well, if he's the Son of God and he says it's authoritative, it's authoritative. But it's not just that simple. Let me, let me just give you a couple things. Have you ever stopped to think what other book in the history of the world has made prophecies and they come true? So can you tell me exactly what you're going to be doing this time next week? No, you can't. You think you might be sitting in church this time next week, okay? You think you might be, but where might you be? Might be with the Lord. Uh, we may have a COVID outbreak and we're all at home in bed. You say, well, that'll never happen. Yeah, you check the last two years. See if it hadn't happened. 
We can't tell one week. We can't tell one day. We can't tell moment by moment where we're going to be. But the Bible tells us about things all the way back from Genesis that have been fulfilled and will be fulfilled. I mean, in reality. I mean, just think of it this way. Jesus was called the Son of God in Psalms 2. That was fulfilled in Luke 1. He was called the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. Galatians 4.4 tells us that that came to pass. He was called the seed of Abraham in Genesis 17.7. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, we know that that happened. He was called the seed of David in Psalm 132. And in Acts 13 and Romans 1 was a confirmation that he was. That he would be born of a virgin. God said that in, in Isaiah chapter 7. That was a few days before Jesus was born, right? And yet, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 tell us that he was born of a virgin. He would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, Micah chapter 5. In Matthew 2 and Luke 2, he was. The prophecy of the slaying of the children of Bethlehem in Jeremiah 31 came to pass in Matthew chapter 2. Of being called <coughs> out of Egypt in Hosea 11 happened in Matthew chapter 2. Of being preceded by John the Baptist, Isaiah 40 and Malachi chapter 3. That happened in Matthew 3 and in Luke 1. That's not a bad record right there. In fact, there's, in fact, there's over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament that came to pass in the life of Jesus Christ. Nobody can do that but God. Nobody can do that but God. The events of the Old Testament, talking about the credibility of the Bible, the events of the Old Testament have been archaeologically proven accurate. Do you know for years there were people that that, didn't, that really didn't believe that there was a King David, that he was a mythical figure. They didn't believe in Pontius Pilate. They didn't believe that the walls of Jericho fell the way the Bible said that they fell. They didn't believe that there was actually a city of Ur of the Chaldeans where Abraham was called out of. They didn't believe in a person that a person existed that was prophesied named Cyrus. And yet they found his tomb. There's a cylinder of Nabonidus, which proves the existence of Belshazzar, spoken of in Daniel chapter 5. And you say, well, I don't get, well, for years and years and decades, hundreds of years, that was a doubted fact that was talked about in the, in the writings of Daniel. And yet they've, they've, they've seen that come to pass. Did you know that it's come to pass that they have... They have actually found a cylinder with an inscription referencing the night of the firstborn in Egypt. Tell me the Bible isn't true. Tell me the Bible isn't authoritative. And I will think that your worldview has deceived you greatly. So, just one other thing. There's a professor... Uh, archaeologist, his name is Nelson Gleck. He said this, I have excavated for 30 years 
with a Bible in one hand and a trowel in the other. And in matters of historical perspective, I have never found the Bible to be in error. That's pretty impressive. I'm going to have to speed up just a little bit. But I'm going to read you a bullet list. Important, important benefits of reading the scripture. It guards you against false teaching. It increases your level of discernment. How does it do that? Hebrews chapter 5. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. (coughs) (coughs) It's able to make you wise unto salvation. You're blessed when you obey its principles. It helps us to know God. Uh, It helps us to imitate God. It helps us to know the will of God, to strengthen our faith, to know how to pray, to combat heresy, and to walk apart from the world pleasing to God. You can't find that information anywhere except in God's Word. So how are we to interact with Scripture? Again, Paul gives us a great outline in in 2 Timothy. And he says this, But you must continue, that's a perpetuation, in the things that you have learned. And he tells in just a moment the source of his learning. And been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This This is an outline of how to use the word of God in discipleship. The word of God is, profit, is, in, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the context, in the context he's talking about preachers and evangelists. I don't think it would do a disservice to the text for us to understand that he's talking about every believer. Because the word of God is profitable for all of us. So what is profitable? Some, just some synonyms of profitable. Beneficial, useful, advantageous, valuable, productive, worthwhile. So it's profitable for what? For doctrine. That's a set of beliefs. And as we view the Bible as our standard of belief, we have to ask as we read it, what basic truth does this passage that we're reading teach us that God wants me to know? Or that God wants me to believe? Have you ever discussed with somebody the uh, <clears throat> uh, just different doctrines? And they come at life, they come at life and they come at the scripture from a different worldview. Why in the world, why in the world do people believe that you can lose your salvation when God said that you're sure in his hand, you're firm in God's, in Jesus' hand, and Jesus is firm in his Father's hand. He He even said to, prayed in his high priestly prayer, I have lost none 
except the son of perdition, the one who was going to be lost anyway. How, how many, I don't, the Bible has to inform us of what we believe. We don't come to the Bible with presuppositions trying to make the Bible say what we believe. If you do, you're foolish. Because the Bible itself will twist you in knots. But when we come to the Bible, we must come to the Bible so that the Bible will inform us on who we are, who God is, how He has, what He has done, and how we can obtain salvation. We have to come to the Bible that way for doctrine, for reproof. The base meaning of reproof is to expose or to prove. Now, I know reproof comes with a bit of a harsh sound to it, but it doesn't have to be harsh. If we, when we reprove someone with the Scripture, and that's what Paul is talking about here to Timothy, what do we do? When someone is believing a lie from the devil, you guys do believe the devil lies, right? You do believe there's a devil? Okay, all right. When the devil tells us a lie, how do we understand that it is a lie and how to correct it? Well, we have to go to God's Word. God's Word is the source of truth. Your, your Word is truth. As the Scripture is given for reproof... When it confronts us, we should ask, what error in judgment, understanding, or behavior might this passage be reproving my life in? Have you ever come across a passage of Scripture that went against what you traditionally believe and you wrestled with it and eventually you just said, well, it's got to mean something else? Well, it probably doesn't. We just have to expand our knowledge to match what the Scripture says. What is correction? Correction is setting something right. Uh, when we read the scripture, we should ask, how might this passage correct or balance or direct me? These are passages that will help. These are principles that will help us as we read the Bible. Um, it's not only to point out wrong behavior. It teaches us godly behavior and a right relationship to our Heavenly Father. The scriptures are sufficient to correct our view of God. False views of God, biblical views of God. He is not a cruel dictator. No, that's Allah. It's not Jesus. He's not a cruel dictator. He is a loving father to those who come to him. He does not judge his children based on their poor performance. We tend to think that way because that's Americana. But no, he judges us on the perfection and the perfect performance of his son. That's how we're judged. Man, that's good stuff right there. He's not going to be reasonable at judgment. We're not going to stand before God and say, well, when I look, God, I, I was a good person. Not only, not only did I not kill cats, I actually fed a cat once. And you say, well, that sounds ridiculous. Well, it's no more ridiculous than anything else you can fill that blank with as far as being good enough. To go to heaven. Our good enough is not good enough. So what other corrections does God make in scripture? Thousands. Thousands. We think God's going to be reasonable at judgment? No. 
Do you think we're going to have an, a leg to stand on, an argument to make a judgment? No. You're going to stand before Christ. You're going to stand before Christ's judgment, either having believed in His Son, having believed that Jesus died for your sins, or you're going to come try to be reasonable in the fact that you're good enough. The Bible straightens that out. The Bible straightens that out. Instruction in righteousness. So let me do finish here. Sorry for going over so many notes. Memories not that good. Let me read you what Warren Wiersbe said concerning this passage. He said, this is the best summary I've ever heard of this text. The scriptures are profitable. They're profitable for doctrine, what is right, for reproof, what is not right, for correction, how to get right, and for instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. A Christian who studies the Bible and applies what he learns will grow in holiness and avoid many pitfalls in this world. So I know you probably hadn't had enough Bible today. But I want to close with just reading some biblical texts of why it's so important to study the Word of God and to use the Word of God in discipleship. First of all, to Titus, he must hold to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For the time will come when they will not, to Timothy he says this, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper.